Welcome to the Executive Spotlight Q&A from Light Reading. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and I'm joined on this podcast by two executives from Here Technologies. Today, you'll be hearing from Chirag Patel and Mark Yao. Uh, first, Chirag, uh, welcome to the podcast, and please do tell us where you're based and what your official title is at Here Technologies. So I'm based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and my title is a senior manager for industry solutions, and I take care of business development and innovations in the area of telecom and media. All right. Fantastic. Um, is it burning up in Atlanta yet? I'm here in Texas and it's kind of hot already. Well, thankfully it's been raining for the last few oh. weeks <laughs> on and off, so we haven't seen that yet. Fantastic. Okay. Now, Mark, uh, same questions. Where are you based and what's your title at Here Technologies? Hey, good to be with you today, Phil. Um, so I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And my official title is I'm a director of product management. Excellent. And I happen to know that Chicago is downright lovely in the month of, uh, uh, in the months of June and maybe early July. Uh, with yep, the... the best times of the year. Yeah. That's our, they say we have two seasons, right? So this is the, yeah. this is the summer season. And it's this about is the good season. Weeks, <laughs> that's right. Fantastic. Okay. Excellent gentlemen. Well, welcome to the show and let's get started. So today's topic relates to the deployment of 5G networks, which is something our audience cares a great deal about. Um, we'll be discussing how digital twin solutions help streamline site selection and deployment for 5G networks. Um, Chirag, the first question is yours. Can you please explain the concept of digital twins? Sure. So if you think about business risk, a digital twin is essentially a virtual representation of a collection of like uh, physical real world objects. And that is represented you know, in the form of like consumable data which essentially helps mitigate operational and financial risk, you know, when you are undertaking like a large project. So um, it can also extend to, you know, include like representations of processes and services. However, you know, for today's discussion, we will be sort of, you know, focused on digitization of the physical objects. So, and, and so the concept of, you know, digital twin actually goes back you know, to at least what, 2010, and perhaps even earlier. And, uh, it's, and so it has evolved over the years through like interactive cycles in engineering and product design across like various industries. And uh, so their, their origins are actually in specifications and uh, two-dimensional drawings that were, you know, uh, supplanted by the CAD systems, if you remember back in the days, which further evolved into like a three-dimensional mirror world uh, concept of today. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, that makes sense. And I do remember CAD systems. So it, it, it um, that helps me kind of picture what's, what's going on and how long this has been sort of uh, uh, a thing. <laughs> um, so Mark, uh, why are digital twins relevant to 5G networks? Very timely question. Yeah, so I think as most of the listeners of this podcast um, are aware, you know, 5G networks brings them the promise of, you know, high data rates, um, low latency, uh, you know, greater reliability. Um, and of course, all these are really wonderful things. But if you're a, you know, kind of network planner or an ARF engineer, um, it turns out that, you know, kind of designing and planning and deploying a, a lot of these newer, newer network topologies associated with 5G um, brings a combination of um, typically increased complexity and certainly there's some new economics associated as well. So at a high level, you know, digital twins can be used to effectively address both problem statements. Um, as you're aware, Phil, like over the past, you know, let's say a couple of decades, 
mobile network operators have gotten really good at deploying these, you know, omnicast, you know, primarily macro cell based networks, right? And although that is going to continue to be very much, um, you know, part of 5G going forward, uh, one of the cool things that bring all these these new services is that um, you're going to see some newer network topologies and associated with some following trends. So examples of those are like, you know, use of small cells. Um, listeners have probably heard of the term, you know, massive BIMO or beam forming. Um, deployment of different spectrum bands, right, such as C-band and certainly millimeter wave um, spectrum with completely different physics. And along all these things, we see not only different economics like I talked before, but then the importance of kind of line of sight. Um, so the key thing is to kind of net it out is that um, the one thing that all these have in common is the need for higher fidelity, you know, higher precision, ideally 3D, you know, dimension or digital representations to reality, and digital twins ultimately can play this role. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, no, thanks for uh, for clearing that up. And you're right, the 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 network itself uh, it is becoming uh, increasingly complex. I think some of us that work in the industry have kind of uh, uh, observed that, especially with five G networks. Like you were pointing out, there's so many different ways to uh, uh, for the network to reach its end customer. Um, that that does definitely affect uh, you know the the planning process all the way up to the deployment of the technology. Um, Chirag, uh, can you elaborate a, a little bit maybe on how uh, digital twins can streamline the process of the site selection whenever a uh, carrier is uh, putting together a 5G network? Yeah, sure. So as you know, Mark was elaborating, if you think of, you know, like cell site selection as, you know, attempting to solve a, a very complex real estate problem, it's, you know, somewhat analogous to like apartment hunting, right? But it's at a much larger scale. So if you think about like our previous generations of mobile networks, you know, like cell towers or uh, rooftop based uh, macro cells, you know, where like the key RAN, which is the radio access network element and the mobile operators, you know, they've all gotten extremely good and efficient at deploying these, you know, types of networks with uh, literally like decades of you know, experience. Now, while the macro cells will continue to play like a prominent role in 5G, it's really the advent of like wide scale, you know, small cell deployment, you know, where this uh, real estate issue will come, you know, to the forefront. So if you think about like small cell deployments in uh, urban environments, you know, where like between uh, street light poles and uh, utility poles, there may be like over what, 200, you know, uh, prospective real estate candidates, you know, for like hosting uh, those uh, small cells. So um, again, back to using the apartment hunting uh, analogy, think of like how long it would take, you know, for like a human to, you know, physically visit and thoroughly like vet out 200 different units, you know, within just like a single neighborhood. And now consider how long and how expensive it would be to expand the apartment hunting range across like an entire, you know, metro region. So the challenge of, you know, mobile network operators, you know, for small cell sites uh, selection is kind of very, you know, similar. Now um, consider like, what if you could perform, you know, the small cell real estate vetting work in a virtual manner, you know, like from a, centralized location instead. So that's when Digital Twin comes into the picture, right? Digital Twin can help 
replicate reality with uh, great accuracy. You know, the elements, the conditions, the environments, you know, the real world in a very sort of 3D model enabling like simulations in uh, order to identify the optimal place among, you know, those thousands of, you know, prospective small cell real estate locations and then, you know, assess their suitability by performing like measurements and inspections, you know, from like one desktop. So an evaluation and deployment of the scale required by 5G network would essentially require like rigorous planning and numerous, uh, you know, effort in, in person, you know, site surveys, you know, that kind of consumes time and, you know, substantial financial resources and so on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so that, the, so that's how it applies to the site selection side. Now, how would, um, what would be the advantages that digital twin solutions would have for the network planning process? Yeah. So speaking of the advantages, I mean, if you think about like centralizing, you know, the site selection and assessment tasks in a very digitized and virtual manner, you know, what we call as digital site surveys, they can be actually reduced, they can reduce the OPEX, you know, associated with site selection by as as high as like 40%, you know, and like shave uh, months of like even full quarters in lead times, you know, from a deployment plan perspective, right? Um, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, during these times of like COVID-19, you know, where like the mobility and access to selected sites might be restricted, it might be the safest and the fastest way to like, you know, complete the site selection task. And uh, by using digital site surveys via a digital twin uh, solution for like small selection and uh, assessment planning errors, you know, evaluation times, etc. And the, the deployment budget actually can can be significantly reduced. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, good point about uh, COVID-19, you know, kind of layering another consideration onto service providers when they're thinking through, you know, yep. network uh, planning and deployment. Right. Um, now we talked about digital twins being, you know, they've been around since, you know, 2010 or so. They've, they've, they've been around for several years. Is this new for the telecommunications industry to be using digital twins? And, you know, maybe have they, have they been, um, in action for like the 4G networks or the 3G networks or any of the previous generations? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as the listeners are already aware, um, like the low resolution, the low fidelity data sets and are called like the ground clutter and the clutter height have been used for like decades in, you know, the planning and design of like previous generations of networks, but have, you know, not necessarily historically been like, you know, referred to as digital twins you know, since they are less about like visualization and they're like more about providing land use, um, terrain, you know, height map information in the context of like, you know, radio frequency propagation modeling. However, um, since in the vernacular digital twin, you know, have such like a wide ranging definition, it can be argued that, you know, digital twins have been utilized by, you know, mobile operators for years. Now, having said that, with 5G and the associated new network topologies, you know, such as those that are based on small cells or millimeter wave uh, spectrums band, uh, spectrum bands or like massive MIMO or like the wireless uh, front hall fixed wireless access, and again, many others, we see two macro trends that uh, drive the need for new, you know, feature functionality in geodata as a digital twin. 
So the first one is the need to support digital representation of the real world in 3D uh, rather than, you know, 2D or 2.5D that was considered good enough for various, you know, generations of networks. And uh, the second trend is the need for like higher geospatial and geometric uh, position in the geodata required to plan, um, design, and implement these types of like topologies due to the associate, uh, associated signal physics and the network complexities associated with it. Okay, Shirag, uh, how does here technologies enable digital twins? Right. So the here technologies, uh, we recently launched here geodata models. The product provides a set of like global, scalable, high precision indexed data sets uh, derived from terrestrial LIDAR and other remote sensed uh, based elemental contents. Um, here, geodata model essentially replicates like reality in 3D and greatly uh, simplifies 5G wireless network planning, design, and maintenance. And so the digital twin aspect of the data set, it enables inspection, you know, measurements and assessments of each prospective uh, cell site candidate yeah, location remotely and from a desktop without like physically visiting each location. Um, additionally, uh, you know, to the, the site selection, the geodata model can also be instrumental in line of sight analysis and uh, radio frequency propagation modeling using the third-party network design, or uh, the GIS application software and tool sets. Okay, great. Well, let's um, let's hear from Mark a little bit now about um, what makes the HERE technology solution in this area um, unique for uh, carriers when they're doing the network planning part of the process. You bet. Yeah, so, so Chirag hit on a lot of them. Um, so let me just kind of summarize real quick. I think at a high level really kind of comes down to three things, Phil. I think the first thing is certainly having this higher precision geospatial and geometric precision. Uh, certainly the ability to digitize the world in, in 3D, right? Historically, we've done it in 2D, 2.5D, and now I think sort of 3D. And the third thing is scale. So Chirag spent a lot of time talking about, uh, uh, you know, kind of site selection and digital twins and those types of things. Um, and, and I think that's, of course, um, extremely important. But I think also having these same types of capabilities and data sets when it comes to traditional RF propagation modeling. And I'd mentioned before the importance of, you know, kind of line of sight, how that uh, comes into play as well. So that's really, I think, where the, again, the geospatial and geometric precision comes in. I think the other, the other kind of key thing is the fact that we actually have our own fleet of vehicles and a lot of traditional, we kind of, which Raga mentioned is sort of, you know, ground clutter, height clutter sets. A lot of those historically have been more derived from an overhead view or like satellite imagery. And so that's still important and uh, integral to our data set. But I think one of the things we have when I talk about scale, sort of two things. One is we have our own fleet of vehicles. So we go out and we do what we call sort of terrestrial LIDAR. So basically laser scans of the world and then also terrestrial 360 imagery. And so ability to have that, it's actually this ground level capture that actually enables that, you know, that, that meter level geospatial and geometric precision. And then the, the last thing that I'll say in terms of sort of scale to kind of add into there also is the ability is once you've actually collected this data, it's important to have these kind of work streams and pipelines and fundamentally to be able to kind of automate that stuff, right? So basically uh, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning based algorithms to actually derive insights from it. So I think those are those areas where we'd like to think that we're kind of doing some cutting edge, very cool work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is, you know, could be hugely useful for the telecommunications industry, as you've mentioned. 
Um, can this data set be applied to uh, other industry segments or other markets? hundred percent. Absolutely. It's another great follow-up question. So, you know, I think the original concept, and this is why at times it's, a, it's important to kind of view this as not only through the lens of it's a data set, which it is, but I think more importantly behind it's the capabilities. And I talked before about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the ability to kind of, you know, kind of collect. So in the same manner that um, in Chiraga talked about things like sort of buildings and that there's also train models and poles and trees, and those are, of course, very important and integral to network planning, and that's still kind of our quote-unquote hero use case. But it turns out those same capabilities for, um, you know, street-level, um, the digitization of real-world objects, street furniture, um, if you can kind of solve for other things out there, right, whether it's like, you know, bridge geometry or um, uh, uh, like, you uh, standalone billboards or locations of bus shelters, you know, kind of anything that's sort of out there and you can kind of digitize it, it turns out that opens up a whole lot of other things. So I won't go to an exhaustive, you know, kind of list there, but certainly we th see things like, you know, a, a not too distant cousin from network planning is this broader thing of infrastructure planning. So the same types of things line of sight, you can see, well, these same data sets and capabilities could be used for placement of CCTV cameras, right, or streetlight planning or vegetation control. Um, we see use cases for first responders, right, where they may want to do emergency management or public safety type things. They want to do simulations at a time. Uh, multimedia production even, right? So these these kind of being able to do this submeter geospatial geometric precision as wireframes. So it turns out that there's some applicability for something they called uh, pre-visualization to be able to kind of take these wireframes and build virtual worlds on top of it, you know, whether it's for advertising. Um, you know, and, and so the list goes on and on, even in sort of transportation logistics, uh, transportation logistics, uh, we see in the future potentially um, another need for very high degree, you know, digitization of the real world, high geospatial geometric precision. Maybe there's the need for a ground obstruction map for drones, right? So several different other cases, but it's also, this is why I'm kind of framing in terms of capabilities, right? So we're just, we think sort of scratching the surface and obviously that's the most germane to today's conversation. Um, but we think over time we can expand it. Yeah, it does sound like there are there are quite a few uh, issues there, and like you were sort of you know saying that that any you know if you can do this level of detail and and with this rich data set and use it for network placement, cell site placement, things like that, there are so many other things that must be placed and must and people must be aware of when they're planning. Uh, you know, like you said, everything from architectural things to stuff in the media to uh, uh, even, well, even city planning, but also, mm -hmm. uh, you know, big infrastructure projects. So um, really useful stuff. Um, uh, let's, let's get into one more thing on the telecom side though, because mobile sure. network operators are definitely going to be concerned about this. Is this solution going to work with the software that mobile operators use today? And will it also, you know, work with the equipment that they might already have in their networks? Yeah, that's a that's another really good question. So the short answer is yes, <laughs> absolutely, hundred percent. So when it comes to you know widely used uh, deployed uh, GIS tools and design tools, um, I can sort of shout out a couple names, but I think a lot of folks use you know sort of like Esri and their ArcGIS uh, type of family of products. Certainly, mm -hmm. um, Forsk and InfoVista and even Nokia have you know some some really good design tools. And so again, we fundamentally we're we're taking this sort of design agnostic approach. And similarly, I think you'd also ask a question related to like the radio access network and that equipment. And uh, similarly, also, we're agnostic to that as well. So the, the plan is not to just um, work with, with everybody and anybody, but we have also made investments in, you know, purchase of licenses within our own um, uh, labs so we can kind of actually simulate that stuff at a time. 
Okay. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for the discussion today and for sharing uh, so much about what Here Technologies is up to. Uh, Chirag, uh, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. And Mark, uh, thank you as well. Really enjoyed your participation on the Executive Spotlight today. Thanks, Mark. Likewise. And Mark, one more thing. Um, where can folks go to find out more about Here Technologies and the solutions that it has for uh, site selection and deployment of 5G networks? Uh, you bet. So there's probably going to be some some information in the, the notes for this podcast, but I think the best place overall to go, Phil, is just here.com. Here.com. You got it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers.